Welcome and thanks for tuning in today to the Flip King Real Estate Radio. I'm your host, Joe Evangelisti. I look forward to bringing you a great episode today. We're going to talk about what a lot of my listeners should be ready to do, if not already doing, which is talking to sellers. If you've been listening to me in my last podcast, you'll know that we talk about motivation, getting in the game, getting out there, getting uncomfortable, and just getting ready to sell real estate and get in the business, right? Today, we're going to talk about the next step, which is dealing with sellers. How do we negotiate with sellers? How do we get the best deal? How do we get the deal that makes sense for us? So stay tuned. Here's your next podcast. All right, guys. So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about dealing with sellers because real estate has to be owned by someone. So eventually you're going to have to deal with a seller. If you want to put a deal together, wholesale it, flip it, whatever you want to do, you're going to have to learn how to ask questions, talk to sellers, and delineate what is a motivated seller versus what is not a motivated seller. So let's first get into talking about how do we figure out the difference between the two? Is every seller motivated? Yeah, maybe in some way, shape, or form, but are they motivated the way we need to make them motivated in order to get a deal put together that's going to make sense for you? Every seller that we talk to who is really ready to sell a house is going to tell you they're motivated, right? You call a seller, you say, hey, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith calling you about the property you have available. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Now, they're not going to tell you we're not interested in selling it unless, of course, you're cold calling your neighbors and uh, you're trying to find someone to buy a house off of. They are most likely, if you're talking to, depending, again, depending upon your marketing and, and the list that you're sending to, are going to be motivated, but are they motivated the way you want them to be? So what I mean by that is a lot of sellers who are looking to actively sell, maybe they're for sale by owner, maybe you got them and they're actually on the market already, you know, for some reason they're in, interested in selling, anyone who's interested in selling is going to tell you that they're interested in selling. However, that does not mean that they are traditionally a motivated seller. That doesn't mean they have a reason or a need or some sort of problem that they need solved. We call these problems pain points, right? So unless your seller has some sort of pain point that's going to get them motivated to want to sell to you at a price that makes sense, you're most likely not dealing with a motivated seller. Now, how do we find out whether these people have pain points or whether they have motivation that's truly going to help you before we go out and visit the property? We ask questions. So guys, I tell my team all the time, my salespeople, even my REMAX salespeople, ask better questions. And if you're taking notes, I don't know if you're on the treadmill right now or if you're at home listening to this or you know, you're on the road. Remember it, write it down, jot it down, whatever you got to do. Listen to this podcast again a week from now, but ask better questions. It's so imperative. It's so imperative to understanding the needs and wants of your seller. And guess what? The needs and wants of your seller become your needs and wants. Because if you're not dealing with a seller who has needs and wants and they just want market value and they think that they have the nicest house in the world and their house is worth more because they put a new kitchen in it or it's on a corner property. These are not things that a motivated seller tells you. So what are things that a motivated seller tells you? They say, it's a property I don't feel like dealing with anymore. I'm tired of being a landlord. 
I'm going through a divorce. Most often we find I inherited a house. Some of our most important motivated sellers that we deal with come from inherited properties. People inherit properties and you have to realize, you know guys, we think of investing in real estate as the more the merrier, right? I mean, if someone said to me, Joe, you can buy 10 houses tomorrow for 25 cents on the dollar, I'd buy them tomorrow. And I would hope that most of you listening now would, would think the same way. You wouldn't think about, okay, I got to figure out to come up with the money and how to put the deal together. You would think, I can close this tomorrow. Because if it's buying at 25 cents on the dollar, I can put the deal together. Always find the deal first. The money will follow if it's a good enough deal, right? So... When you're thinking and talking to a seller who's truly, truly motivated, you're going to want to jump on that deal. But let me digress a second. You're talking to a seller, you're trying to decide if they're motivated. If a seller says to you, I want top dollar, I'm interviewing realtors tomorrow, um, I've had, I've had uh, you know, the guy down the street offered me full price for his daughter to move into the property. These are people who are very proud of their property, and maybe rightfully so, I don't take anything away from them, but they're not. They're not the kind of context clues that a non, that a motivated seller will leave you. When motivated sellers are talking to you, they're generally depressed. Sometimes you gotta become a bit of a shrink. You, you sure as heck better be sympathetic to their needs and wants, because if you offend them on the phone, they're probably not gonna wanna sell you their home. But guys and girls, what we're doing here is we're asking better questions so that we can get to the root of the story, so that we can decide if we can truly, and this is important, if we can truly help these people. Now, a lot of you maybe haven't done deals before, or maybe some of you have, are thinking, what is Joe talking about? He must be some greedy SOB who's just trying to find people that are beat up in bad situations to take advantage of. I'm here to tell you that that could not be further from the truth. Okay, guys, don't, don't think about, oh, well, these people must be... <clears throat> must be in dire straits and we're going to go take advantage of them because what could be what the truth is could it couldn't be further from it basically when we meet with a lot especially people in estate sales situations now dollars are different for everyone okay but i can tell you that when someone inherits a property in my experience and this is not true for everyone who inherits property but for someone who inherits property and by the way we bought four estate sales in the last three weeks so i'm pretty current on the topic Okay, but when someone inherits property and they maybe there's three or four or five siblings, okay, and let's say the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars for using round numbers, and let's say there's five siblings, so if they get a hundred thousand dollars and that's market value and they get it today, you know they're gonna make twenty grand a piece. Now that's a lot of money. I don't care who you are. Twenty grand's twenty grand. It's a lot of money to most people. But let's just say one of the siblings is handling the estate. And let's say three of the siblings live out of state. By the way, I'm using a current example, and I'm not going to use names or locations because I just closed this deal last week. But three siblings are living out of state. Two are living in state. One of the two are living in the state, wants nothing to do with the property, wants nothing to do with cleaning it out, wants nothing to do with helping out the one that's in charge, the executor, okay? So you have five siblings. One of them is doing all the work. Now, I only have two brothers, but I can tell you guys, frankly, the three of us probably couldn't agree on a type of dinner to eat together. 
let alone five siblings trying to agree on what price they should sell mom's house for. So, what you're generally dealing with is maybe in a state that doesn't have a lot of money in it. In fact, one of the things that the uh, this this particular estate, the executor said to me was, ah, oh, my brother lives in Washington and he's got more money he knows what to deal with. He knows what to do with. So, you know, his 20 grand, almost irrelevant. He just wants to see the estate closed, right? But the bottom line is, we go in there and we make him an offer. They're generally not offended at the offer. It's a business transaction. They're trying to close an estate. Now, there might be some sentimental tie to the house, but generally what happens when we say we're going to be as is, you're not going to pay a commission, you're not going to have to pay fees, we're going to move in and buy the property, and we're going to take this, 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 this monkey off your back, that's generally what it is when you're dealing with an estate for them. It's a monkey on their back. I mean, they don't want to deal with it, let alone call a realtor. And the realtor comes out and says, oh, the place is dated. You should fix, you should refinish the floors and paint the place. And oh, you know, it really needs a roof. And, you know, so this is, a, you know, and all these other things that go into selling a home on the market, fair market value or putting it on the market. The executor doesn't want to deal with that. They generally don't want to deal with that. I'm going to give you a real life situation of a state I bought a year ago. And I use this, I use this a lot as an example when I talk to people because people can't believe that this happens. But it does. And I'm here to tell you that it does. I had, re- I was, I had been referred to, uh, an estate, uh, property about a year ago, uh, just about a year ago today. It was like last February. And I went out and met with them. Now, for those of you who listen to all my episodes, you realize that I'm a broker and I'm an investor. And so I do both. And a lot of times what I do is, well, almost every time, first of all, I always disclose I'm a broker. I don't, I don't run out there and tell them I'm not a broker, I'm an investor. I always tell them, look, I'm a broker, but I'm here to buy it as an investment property. But sometimes the property is just in, in pretty decent condition. And I'm trying to give the seller, bear in mind, the best case scenario. I'm trying to help them out. And guys, when you approach it from, I'm trying to help them out, I'm telling you things, things end up a lot differently. And you know, when you, instead of going after it and being greedy and saying, I'm going to try to nickel and dime or beat these people up. That's not the attitude that I have. And that's not the attitude that a lot of investors have when they're dealing with people in, uh, in motivated selling situations. So back to this, this property, I got a call or referral. I go out and look at the property. It's a really nice three bedroom, one and a half bath. It's a buy level. It's got hardwood floors underneath of all, almost, almost all the carpet. Um, the, uh, the, the, the exterior of the house was in pretty solid shape. Now it needed windows and it needed, uh, it needed exterior doors and it needed a new kitchen and baths and all the kind of stuff that you would expect out of a property that my grandma lived in for, you know, for, for 50 years. I mean, this, I, I, I was probably the third owner and the house was built in like 57. So the house needed some aesthetic updates. So we walked through the property. I asked them kind of, you know, what they were looking to hope and hoping to get for it, you know, what their situation was. In this particular situation, it was the woman I was talking to was the executrix. And she had a sister that lived in, in a couple states away who wasn't very close. So uh, mom had died about four or five months ago. Four or five months have gone by, and there were still, you know, some furnishings left in the house. They were still trying to figure out what to do with things. But four or five months of taxes had built up. The estate didn't have a lot of money to begin with. The woman I was talking to had some money, but she didn't want to put her own money into her mom's house when, when the sister from five states away wasn't, wasn't willing to contribute. And I had said to her, Listen, here's my opinion of value. I think that you could list the property as is. You could put the house in the market for 
All I'm going to ask you to do is just go, go in the house, pay someone. I could even give you a referral. Just have the green shag carpet taken out because I pulled it up in a couple rooms. And guess what? The hardwoods underneath are in pretty solid shape. I mean, they could use to be sanded and refinished, but I think if the buyers that are coming in off the market see the floors are there, they'll kind of overlook the fact that they have to be refinished. And, you know, I think you'll get 135, 140 for the property. I think it's a fair number. You know, keep in mind, we're in, we're in a low 200s neighborhood. So the flip side of that was, or I would pay you $102,000, $103,000 cash. I don't want to misuse numbers, but $103,000. I said $103,000 cash. Now I'm thinking, guys, just like you're thinking right now, I got a broker standing in front of me who's perfectly capable of selling this property. He's telling me to list it at 150. All I got to do is go inside the house and take out some green shag carpet. I probably pay someone 200 bucks to do it, put it on the curb, put the house up for, for the market, right? The wife looks at the husband. The husband looks at the wife. The wife looks back at me, puts out her hand and says, 103,000 cash. Can you close in 10 days? And I shook her hand. 103,000 cash. Now, that particular deal, I don't want to get off topic, but I actually had a buyer for it already lined up and we sold it for 210 and I put about $35,000 into it. So it was a great deal. It was a great transaction. But here's the moral of the story. The moral is when I tell people this story, they all think, why in the world wouldn't the woman take the extra 35 or 40 grand? Right? It's the aggravation level. It's me understanding the client. It's me having the, the, the guts, actually, and it took me a long time to do this. And I hope that people are listening, especially the ones who are licensed. This is, this is something you really got to do, especially if you want to get in the investment business and you're licensed. First of all, always disclose. I'm not here to be an attorney and to tell you that what you should do with your license. But not only do you disclose, make them an offer. If you want to be an investor, you got to start making offers. You got to start getting uncomfortable. And guess what? Did I think she would say yes to 103? Hell no. If I were her, I'd have put a listing together and I'd have put it up for 149.9. But here's the best part of the story. Not only does she love me, not only does she refer me to other people, she's referred me to three other people in the last year. She talks about me all the time. She works in the senior care community space, okay? She's, a, she's an at-home nurse. So she's dealing with people with, who have older folks that are, you know, stay-home care and that kind of thing all the time. She was so happy with our transaction together and so impressed at how I handled myself and how we were able to close when we said we could close that she's referred me to three other people. And now I use her as my testimonial person when I have other people in her same situation that are really afraid. Because guess what, guys? Another thing the sellers are going to do, sometimes they get afraid. You make them an offer and they're like, how is this person going to give me a check for $103,000? How could they possibly have $103,000 in the bank? I don't have to tell you the secrets as to why that is. You all know. But they're afraid that I'm not going to be able to close. So sometimes i got to give them referrals. I refer them, this woman that I bought the house from, because she talks so highly of me. She tells them flat out, if Joe says he's going to close, he's going to close. If Joe says he's not going to do a home inspection, he's not going to do a home inspection. He will not break your balls. He will pay all the fees like he says he's going to pay. He's legit. He's 100%. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. She has become a referral source. So everyone that I talked to was like, God, you beat her up. You stole 35 grand from her. No, I helped her out. I helped her get rid of a property that she spent five months working on. I helped her get her half of the estate quicker. 
I helped her because she needed it done in a certain amount of time. I had her, I helped her quickly. And she's happy and she refers us. So guys, when you're talking to sellers, I want you to think of that story that I just told you. I want you to think of, I'm dealing with a seller. Am I helping the seller? Because if your motive is to go there and beat them up and steal as much money as you can from them, I can promise you your career will be short-lived. People will know about you. They will, they, will, they will talk about you and not in a good way. But if your motive is to actually help people, find out what their pain is, and then help them solve it, you will make a lot of money. A lot of money. When you become a problem solver, when you become a solutions provider for people who don't really have, I shouldn't say don't have any other options, they could have other options, but when you can solve their problem efficiently, effectively, and get them to a number that makes them feel comfortable, you're going to be able to make a lot more money and you're going to have a lot more happier folks that will refer you to a lot of other people. Just another case in point dealing with sellers. I bought a property again last year, I think June timeframe, flipped that one, made a good amount of money. It was a really nice property. It was a little brick row home in a really popular town near, near my office. Again, knew what I was dealing with. I went in, I spoke with the seller, really nice couple, uh, her mother's house. I went in, the house was just absolutely, you know, beat to snot. It had, it had bad wiring, bad HVAC, bad roof. I mean, squirrels in the attic. I mean, the whole 10 yards. And, made the guy a fair offer, you know? I mean, a low offer, but I felt like a fair offer. And he shook my hand, I went to settlement, and I left settlement thinking to myself, man, I wonder if I could have gave him a little more, I wonder if he was happy with me. I legitimately am concerned about my sellers that I deal with, folks. I think that that, that really should resonate because I think that there's a misnomer out there that, you know, investors are out there to beat, pillage, and steal. I really do care about my sellers. I care that, they, that, they're, that they're comfortable with the deal and they're happy with the deal. Anyway, fast forward to today. He calls me three weeks ago out of the blue. He says his mom now passed away. She passed away in December. And now would I like to come over and look at his mom's house? Now, here's a guy a year ago. I was actually questioning whether or not I gave him a fair shake. I'm the first one he calls. I come out and look at mom's house. I made him a fair offer. We shook hands on the spot. He's not calling anybody else. There's no other, there's no other competition. He's comfortable with the deal we did before. He was comfortable with the way that we did things. He was comfortable with the way we got to the closing table. He's comfortable enough to save my number and call me a year later. And on top of that, this is a gentleman who's in like his late sixties and he's got, you know, hip and knee problems or something. You know, he's, he walks with a cane. He's already told me, Joe, I'm not going to be in my home for very much longer. I'm probably going to go buy a condo or something down in Florida. I'm going to call you soon. Will you buy my house from me? You know, it's so I could buy three houses from this guy. Why? Because I learned his, I learned the issues early on. I asked really good questions. I developed rapport. I gained his trust. And not only that, I followed through. So that's, that's the, the mission of today's podcast. It's talk to sellers. When you do learn their problems, truly learn their problems. And I don't just mean ask them, look, this scripts, some of these scripts that are out there. Uh, I'm calling about the house. What do you owe on it? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Um, when do you want to sell it? When's the, what's the least amount of money you'll take? Look, guys, I don't ask, I don't ask what they'll take generally until I'm on my 15th question when I'm talking to a seller. 
I mean, that is at the very, very bottom of the list. And sometimes it's not even on the list. If I'm talking to someone that I truly believe I can help, that I think we can put the numbers together. Now, I'm going to get a ballpark. I'm going to ask them, of course, if they have a mortgage. I'm going to pre-qualify them to decide if they're worth having a meeting with. But if there's no mortgage and there's high equity and there seems to be a lot of pain there and I could be the person to solve it, you better believe I'm setting an appointment to go talk and meet with that person. Even if our numbers are close, I'm going to go talk to them. So ask better questions. That, that really is the gist of today's podcast. I want you to ask better questions, get better answers, and then ask deeper questions. Bring it along another level. You know, tell me about the property. Oh, great. You know, I had tenants in it, blah, 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 blah. Okay, is it vacant now? Yeah, it's vacant now. How long has it been vacant? It's been... What did you rent it for before? You know, why does no one ask that question? No one ever asked that question. When you had a tenant in there before, what was it renting for? You don't know if the answer to that question is going to help you in the future. You don't know if you're going to sell that to uh, a turnkey investor who wants to buy a rental property. Or maybe you're selling it to a guy like me who, when I buy properties, I generally don't know sometimes if I'm going to rent them or flip them, right? So that knowledge would be useful. But you're gaining rapport every time you ask a question with a seller. They're getting on your level. You're getting on their level. You're, you're, you're getting in the same tune. And you're getting on a, a point where you're developing rapport with them. So when you're asking them questions, by the way, this, is, this goes the same for anything in life, guys. This is not just calling sellers, so you could use this anywhere else. But anyone you want to truly develop a rapport with, you ask them questions. I mean, have you heard, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, if you're on a date, you don't talk about yourself. You're on a first date and you start blabbing about how great you are. It's not going to last very long. But if you're on a first date and you're asking that person about themselves, what their likes are, what the, what kind of things they like to do on the weekends, what kind of food they enjoy, you know, you're developing rapport with that person. It's no different with sellers. The more questions you ask them, the more rapport that you build. And your job as an investor is to develop rapport for a couple different reasons. One is the rapport is going to help you get through that transaction a whole lot easier because they're going to actually trust you. Two, when you develop rapport with a seller, and we develop really good rapport. I mean, I really like to try to know my sellers, and I don't know how I can stress that anymore. But they generally don't compete us. When I'm dealing with a seller that likes me and trusts me and believes I can actually accomplish what I'm saying I can, they're not going to go turn around and call three more investors. Oh, and by the way, I got another story. Just kind of hit me off the top of my head. I had this happen last week with me, uh, with, with, with a buyer, I mean, with a seller, rather. I had, I had a, a meeting, and I sat down with the woman, and I made her an offer, and I developed rapport. I asked a million questions. I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew how many kids she had. I knew that the, her, her, her husband was in the Navy. I'm a veteran myself. We talked about the Navy. I mean, we developed rapport. I talked with her for an hour, and I don't think maybe 10 minutes of that conversation had to do with the house. I developed a lot of rapport, okay? At that meeting, she had said to me, because she hadn't met me yet, we hadn't known each other yet, she has two other investors and two other realtors coming to look at the house, okay? So without using numbers, because again, the deal is fresh, I gave her an offer, and then I followed up. And then I knew that she had some antiques in her basement that she wanted to sell. And so what did I do? I called my antique dealer, who I know that, that buys and sells old stuff. I happened to be meeting him in another property. 
I called her up and said, hey, do you mind if I stop by? I got a guy. You might want to look at those old, uh, she had old planes, like Stanley planes in the basement. You might look at those planes, maybe make you an offer. Would that, you know, would that be cool? Oh, yeah, great. We're at the house. Stop by. Take a look at it. Developing a little bit more, more rapport. I got there. You know, tell me about those meetings. How'd they go? Well, we got much higher offers. Okay, well, that's that's scary, but okay. You know, let's, let's what's the next step? Oh, we're talking to a broker. I think we're going to list it. We're going to list it for another number. Okay? Develop rapport, develop rapport. This is a woman who had seven brothers and sisters. They're all over the country. Okay? She's the executrix. She's making the decisions. I stuck with it. I talked to her. I called her the next day. How you doing? When are you going to make a decision? Listen, let me come by and take a look at the house again. I looked at it from a different set of eyes. I decided, you know what? It is worth a little bit more to me because I'm going to turn it into a rental property. And in this area, big time appreciation, availability. It's, it's, it's a developing town and all that. I saw value in it. So I made her the higher offer. Guess what? My offer wasn't even as high as the already higher offers that she had. And it wasn't anywhere near what the, what the realtors wanted to list her property for. She shook my hand and signed a contract. So I came in, just to summarize, I came in first. I never like to come in first. I always like to be the last person to talk to the seller if I have the, if I have the ability. I came in first. I made her the lowest offer she had. She had two other realtors that wanted to list it for like 50, 60 grand more than I offered her. She had two other investors that offered her, I don't even know, a lot more than I offered her. I still ended up buying the deal because I developed rapport, because I spent time talking to her, because I asked better questions. I asked better questions than the next guy. I asked better questions than the guys who gave her bigger numbers because everyone assumes that numbers is everything. They assume that when you come in there with the highest number, the seller is going to have no choice but to sell it to you. Well, guess what? Rapport builds, beats numbers any day of the week. I bought so many deals, guys, for less money than the next competitor because of rapport. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm saying some kind of magical thing. I'm building rapport. They trust me. I've had guys come in and offer ten, twenty thousand dollars more than me. You know what the seller says to me? And this is this this happened about a year ago. I had, I had a seller say to me, "You know what? The other guy offered twenty grand more. I didn't trust he could close it. I didn't think he was confident. He was so cocky. You know, I just didn't believe him. I didn't trust him. Well, guess what? We probably had maybe even the same demeanor, the same, you know, the same. But I had better questions, and I asked more personal questions, and I got to know the seller." So subconsciously, the seller actually trusts me more, even though I'm offering them less money. So that's a wrap for this week. Guys, I want to I want to thank you so much for your comments. It's been awesome. We got a lot of really awesome feedback via email. I want you guys, to, I want to encourage you guys to always hit me up with email at joe at theflipking.com. You can also go on our blog, check out all the other good stuff that we have to offer. We have some free giveaways there. If you go on iTunes and you like and comment on, on our iTunes uh, podcast, go back to the Flip King website and just send us a message and let us know that you, you liked and commented, and I want to personally send you a couple free gifts. So, um, again, check us out on, our, on iTunes. Check us out on our, uh, theflipking.com, and feel free to email me directly. Until you hear from me again, have an awesome week. 